cliffcentral.com cliffcentral.com Thursday morning the 15th of December and the penultimate burning platform it's going to be a show the best of the burning platform next Thursday so I'm looking forward to that but here he is with his sunglasses on looking like he's just stepped out of the ANC's NEC it is Canton Pile hello Canton how are you I'm great. I was at Good. the wake for Dorator this morning. He's, he's now the he's now the great white nope, as I said yesterday. Shame, 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 shame. Although I don't think there are going to be that many people uh, to to kind of wave him on his way as he exits the uh, what do they call it Megawatt Park building in. Uh, in uh-huh. Yeah, I don't think anyone's going to stand actually. There going, it's, it's mega. It's it it it's mega what the fuck park. So. <laughs> oh, this. So you bad. have to wait. You have to wait for it to be five minutes past the hour before you start swearing. Ah, good point. Yeah, because otherwise we get five uh, minutes. Don't past we get the de- hour. deplatformed or demonetized or something by? Yeah, we do. Pumi's right. You know what Escom says, Pumi? Power may not go off or on at exactly the time on the schedule. Exactly. There Just we go. Five minutes. So did you see... Can you uh, start with a little bit of decorum? Well, let's start with some decorum. Let's go to our, one of our favorite ministers who tweeted about Andre de Reiter, uh, leaving ESCOM. Here's what oh, he had to say. Here's feeling, this must be embarrassed. Yeah, correct. It can only He be. says, ESCOM CEO resignation give us an opportunity to get a well-informed person about ESCOM challenges. Great news indeed. The scariest thing about this tweet, which is so stupid and incompetent and fraudulent, is that there are (laughs) 2,000, and this is as of just now, 2,484 people who liked it. I want to meet those people. That would be interesting. You know, (laughs) do you... Do you think some of his best friends are bots, guys? Can we just that's that's this? true. By the way, those bots were going crazy for Kozasanatlamini Zuma, huh? It's interesting. Whoever no. whoever's paying them is definitely on her side. Bona. They are there's so many things. So right. many things. This is why so, Lesotho must leave us alone. All right. Let's start. Let's start. I mean, Canton, are you concerned about Lesotho invading us and uh, claiming this territory, which they passed a resolution in Parliament, their Parliament yesterday, deciding that the Free State, parts of the Eastern Cape, parts of KwaZulu-Natal, parts of Bumalanga now belong and to… The and parts, the Northern Cape. Parts of the Northern and Cape. And the Northern Cape also uh, now belong to them, the Kingdom of Lesotho. What do we think about that? Well, well, they couldn't possibly do a worse job than our lot, so I say bring it. So you're saying we're we willing to try Lesotho? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, frankly, at this point, look, Zimbabwe <laughs> could walk across the border and invade us. We we have the most incompetent military in the world. Yes. We've spoken about this yes. on the show before. <laughs> we are the only military in the world where the military is allowed to strike, yeah. Okay, where they get Danger pay for hazardous working conditions. Mm-hmm. These guys couldn't pass a flippant physical. Hey, so, what? What? I was I'm at, not fat shaming. I was at another thing. And the, the former head of the army, General Shokwe, mm. was there. Yo. Sol is still alive. Yo. I was flabbergasted at his flubber. Really, is he is Flub- enormous. So, fl- flubbergasted. There's a nice portmanteau there. Yay! Yay. I, I was just like, this guy was the head of. And, and uh, every Sully time Shoke. I see that. I'm, Sully Shoke. Is every that the time guy? I see that. Every time I see the incompetence of our army. Every time I see any of that. Mm. I, I actually I am pleased that we, we are there because, because, hear me <laughs> out on this one. Because it then, you know, leaves it leaves very little room for for the incompetence of the current government to hold us down, to pin us down in oh. any kind of military regime. Exactly. So I, I I am I'm glad that's what we have, right? Because yeah. Otherwise, the other side would be just too scary. Here I mean, he is. That's the, there's that's, there's a video. There's a video now of of um, just if you if of you the aren't... former ANC member uh, 
Carl Nias protesting with a little placard about Cyril must go. And, and there's like a police kind of police pushing him away and, and he's resisting the being pushed away. And there's a, another, uh, another cater that falls over. There's a scream. It's, it's quite chaotic. (laughs) And there have been the bots. The bots have then been on a huge drive going, the apartheid is back. The police brutality. And, and, and yeah. I'm just like, this y'all is just, know nothing. It's so inco- – you're right. It's so incompetent. Listen, look, here's the general I think you mentioned. So if you're on YouTube, yes. you'll be able to see. This is him, General Shock. He's much bigger than this now that he's <laughs> retired. So this guy, he was head of our army. Am I right? Yeah, he's bigger than this now. <laughs> he, was, he was quite big. He was quite big. Maybe the picture – I don't know. I don't know if that's the same guy. I, I, that's all it I could find. It is the same guy. Look, uh, some, same someone face. was crunching the numbers recently, and it turns out that we've got something like 400 generals really? uh, in our army. Really? And, yeah. And, and, by, and by contrast, you know, India, you know, which is, is now the world's most populous country, you know, close to one and a half billion people, sits with something like 72 generals. And, and and they you often know, and say the all military the, is one of the best in the world. And don't they use the term too many chiefs and not enough Indians? <laughs> That's extra funny. All right. You guys are making me laugh too is much this morning. Is that term still allowed? I, I, I think so. I think so. But let's actually it's, talk. It's, this, let's, it's the silly season, Gareth. It's so silly. You know, when we talk oh. about these serious things, yeah, we, we've got to take the piss. We, because it's, it's frankly, it's the only way as South Africans that we actually manage to cope with all of this stuff. Unbelievable. <laughs> there were quite a number of generals at this event that I was at. It was quite scary, but scary, but also kind of All right, so, really. It really does so, give me heart that we don't have. I agree with you. Any I, prospects of any kind of military? There'll be no coup d'état or military junta in this country, right? That's impossible because these guys are all over their Lindy own. Even if you see in her, <laughs> even if you see Lindy Wesisulu in her military fades and her like high heeled, yeah. Converse military no chance boots. She, you know what the pro- nah. what would probably happen um, is that the, the military, if they did decide to like, you know, arrange a coup, they, their vehicles would break down on the way to the union buildings or whatever. It would be it would just be a hilarious disaster. So I had no idea we have so many generals in this country. We have learned something already this morning. <laughs> We've learned that Lesotho, if they do invade us, we're we should probably just let them take over, which I think is hilarious. Amir makes an interesting point here. Amir says, there are more Basutu in the Free State than in Lesotho itself. There are more Setswana in Northwest than in Botswana. There are more Siswati in Pumalanga than in Swatini. These are interesting facts. And there are more Shonan and Debele in South Africa than, than in, in Zimbabwe. Zimbabwe. So <laughs> that's okay. We're good with this. <laughs> This country, you, I'm telling you, there is not a dull day. So what do you guys think of this Dorator situation? I mean, Pumi's given her perspective to some degree, but I know she's saved most of it for the burning platform. And Canton, we haven't heard from you. What do you think of what's going on there? Look, I actually feel for the guy in a way. Really? And the reason why I feel for him is that he was never going to be able to turn the thing around. And I know I feel a bit like I'm flogging a bit of a dead horse over here, but... Uh, Remember that we've got the scenario where Dureta is forced to sell a product at a price that is lower than what it costs him to produce yeah, it. Correct. So he's got to actually uh, get uh, turn ESCOM around while selling electricity at a loss. And how the hell do you do that? It's impossible. It's now, impossible. the reason why he can't actually push up the prices to what they're supposed to be is because of the fact that the price setting is not done by ESCOM. It's done by NERSA. <laughs> yeah, and <exactly. laughs> so well, we're never going to be able to, guys, we'll never be able to get this thing fixed. The other thing he's not able to do, he's not able to cut off all of the defaulting municipalities. Mm-hmm. He's not able to cut off all of the areas that have widespread electricity theft. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'll now mention Soweto and Pumi's going to get uptight and say, <laughs> not all people from Soweto. Oh, put me. Just put a sock in it. <laughs> um, you know what? You're not gonna. You're not gonna get a rise out of me. Yeah. <laughs> you're not gonna get a rise out of me today, uh, guys. But listen, no, he, no one's gonna be able to fix ESCOM unless we're allowed. We allow ESCOM <laughs> to actually crank prices. Okay. The price of diesel right now is at an all-time high. <clears throat> Thank you, Joe Biden. Yeah. The the price of diesel is at an all-time high. 
we need to burn diesel in order to keep the lights on. Not so just not just at ESCOM, to- but we also all these people who have generators. I mean, every time the lights go out here where I live, you just hear this hmm in the background, and that's the hum. The of, sounds of Joburg. That's the, mm-hmm. that's the, the hum of, of, of people burning diesel and burning a lot of it, and that's why the price has also gone up. Yes, and uh, if, so now we have a situation where the northern suburbs are starting to smell like the townships used to smell during the apartheid era. Because remember, d- during the apartheid era, wherever we were, went in the townships, there were just coal stoves. Yeah, that's right. That were actually the, the sole source of fuel in mo- and, and heat in most of the households. By the way. And, and so there was this constant smell I, of, uh, of coal. Where are, where are the green lobby from overseas uh, coming here and telling people, oh, you're polluting everything? You see, when, when it comes to the crunch, Oh, no, we, we've, got, we've got Nick Headley who's single-handedly driving that. Oh, really? Yeah, I, I want to know which NGOs are paying him because, uh-huh. yeah, he's, he's, he's clearly getting big bucks to push this agenda. Maybe we should send the army round to uh, investigate because that will work out so well. <laughs> They're out of fuel, Gareth. Come on. <laughs> this, this army. Which, speaking of fuel, brings us, did you see the video of your finance, your venerable finance minister at the Salga? Uh, presentation. The, so, Enoch, local government. Enoch Godongwane. What what is he doing? What was he doing at Selga? Just waxing lyrical mm. about all all of the things that are the problem. Also, like oh, yeah? I don't know. Everybody are they really disciplined members of the movement? <laughs> uh, talking about Gwede <laughs> Matashe mm. saying the Raider doesn't want to buy fuel. He's mm. got fuel. Where there's got fuel, you know, I mm. told him that I've got fuel here at Petro mm. SA for him, but they don't want to pay for this fuel. And oh my a, God. A, a the... supposed phone conversation where Cyril Ramaphosa phoned Enoch to say, when the, the announcement of the stage six phoned Enoch to say, Yindoni Legaka. And I was like, Everybody, like, yes, this is him, but this is not at the Salga presentation. But, but, but again. It was every, at every single turn. It's unbelievable <sighs> how all of these individuals have got an enormous amount of incompetence. I don't, and this is what enormous. got me thinking about the in, incompetence versus stupidity versus frauds. Because they sit here kind of yeah. pontificating at times, which is what he was doing in and, 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 and the, the Salga conference. The left, With sheer levels of hubris. Yeah. No other but, way but the, of, the left, isn't it of funny, describing it's it. It's funny how the left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing. Like you've got these two ministers who, who should be able to, in a cabinet meeting, which we're supposed to be having, what, every week, um, they should be able to talk to each other in person across the room and say, hey, you need diesel. We can buy it from here. This is how much you have to pay. Your department must EFT my department this much and we'll send the fuel around. They can't even get this right. Instead, they go public with why they can't do X, Y, Z. Pot shots at each other. Pot shots at each other. It's just unbelievable. Canton, any comments from you on the whole NDZ voting very publicly against Cyril and saying we've got to implement the recommendations of the report and she's not she's a disciplined cadre and she's going to make sure that she stands up for the right thing and you know it was this dramatic moment and now the EFF are busy claiming like this is the biggest thing ever that she sided with them of course not realizing she didn't side with them while sitting right next to while sitting right next to uh, Provin Gordon well there's a wise woman who once sang freedom's just another word for nothing left to lose there we go all and right. uh, look, I think good for her. I've, uh, guys, I've told you since, what, going back to 2016, that I thought NDZ would be a better uh, president than Ramaphosa, and I still stand by that. Sure. Even, yeah, even and uh, I'm, 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 I'm very happy for Look, I think the best possible scenario that can come out of this right now is that the ANC tears itself apart. So this time it's a proper split. So it's not... Like there's a splinter faction called the EFF. There's a splinter faction called COPE. Mm. There's a splinter faction called the PAC. Because the, this has been the history of South African politics. We yeah. haven't really had anything new and exciting happening because they've all been splinter factions of the ANC. Well, uh, apart from 
um, well, even if you take uh, uh, the Freds front plus, they uh, basically a splinter faction of uh, uh, the Conservative Party, which was a splinter faction uh, of old national uh, party. Of, of, of the old national party. Yeah. <laughs> this is South Africa, but you think this is this is the final factional break? That this is the split. I, I hope. I hope so. You know, uh, atheist though I am, I'm praying to whatever gods there are out there to actually bring this. Yeah, so she, do this for me, and I will believe. I <laughs> mean, right. so she is kind of daring. She she does have nothing to lose, and she's kind of daring Cyril to do something. You know, she it, it's a dare as, as, opposed to to, as opposed Cyril to Israeli must, who doesn't pitch up. Cyril must um, fire her, and hopefully that will gain her some votes in the conference going forward because then everybody's good. Or he's not going to do anything and it's going to say to people that Cyril is afraid of her. Mm-hmm. Um, Zweli and um, both Zweli and Lindiwe, I think, uh, also made a political decision about kind of going, I'm not going to, I'm not going to vote yes or no. And in so doing, what they've done is they've shown the rest of us and everybody that's going to be voting in um, in Nasrec how spineless they are. <laughs> that they actually they ask it. But shout out to Julius again. He called it. Remember, Julius said he wanted uh, a vote by show of hands because mm-hmm. he wanted to see who's actually going to be true to their word. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but then he was the first person standing up there and fighting with about having a secret ballot because what they were hoping for is they were hoping to have more people vote on their side because now we don't know who's voting in what direction. And I think it's very disingenuous of them to all of a sudden have MPs hey that guys, have this is, suddenly this, this been is Julius. receiving, on. receiving on. death threats, <laughs> receiving death threats overnight. I was just like... Julius will do whatever he needs to do in order to make what works for Julius happen. That's all. We know that. It's, it's, he is as venal as they get, right? So here's an interesting I, thing. Um, I didn't know about this. We just got to quickly turn our attention to um, further north. Apparently, Amir, also full of information this morning, Amir says, Did you see the video of the South Sudan president pee himself? Shame, he's 71 years old. 71 is a spring chicken, Amir, compared to the Joe Bidens and Donald Trumps that's of the world. That's not young. That's, but that's not, that's not old enough to be peeing yourself. Mm-mm, no, shame, you must be under huge pressure. <laughs> I do find that this morning's burning platform is the most entertaining one I've had in a long time because we are just laughing at these guys. Like We're not taking it all as terribly seriously as we usually would. And maybe it is just silly season, but... You know, I look at these generals that we were talking about earlier. I look at uh, Enoch Godongwana in his hat. I look at Becky Kale in his hat. I see Nkwasa Sanat Lamini Zuma, like, you know, daring Cyril, as you put it, Pumi. And, and it's all kind of just ridiculous. Like, if you were watching this from afar, if you weren't actually in this country and, and unfortunately subject to their ridiculousness and their bad decisions, you would be laughing. So I I do think that the good thing about the the mess that we are watching unfold mm-hmm. is it it hastens the demise of the ruling party if we can get it together to show up and vote right so the that that, that that's the the fulcrum is we've got to be able i think on the other side the benches on the other side to get enough people to show up and vote and this is why i was up kind of watching the numbers um overnight well this morning because of the by election in in the northwest mm-hmm. because happened? it's it's a very big it's a very big uh election where there were 27 wards that are a good cross section of the voting kind of um, constituents. Mm-hmm. So there's there's enough white voters, black voters. It's rural. There's a you, you know yeah. some some towns, and there's a cross section of the ANC, DA, FF, EFF, 
um, also a showing of the patriotic alliance. Unfortunately, there is Action SA was not contesting in any one of those twenty-seven wards, and and all this happening in a by-election, you know. So the thing about by-elections, why they're good to watch, is because there isn't a public holiday. Mm-hmm. It's all about canvassing on the ground. Um, so you don't get what we get with national uh, elections where you have a halo effect of communication that's right. everywhere, ubiquitous communication on the radio, on TV, on print and all of that. This is canvassing on the ground mm-hmm. because it's such a small area. So what you get is you get committed voters. You get to see the p- behavior of committed voters, how they show up. And and the one thing that is across all the wards and all the voting districts Yes is very low voter turnout, very low voter turnout. And we've spoken about this before. We have said where there's low voter turnout works in the favor of the ANC. They want that because the less people show up, it's because that's that's the flaw in democracy is it's really not about the fact that because nobody voted, nobody becomes the <laughs> councillor. No. So what, three what, people vote, so what the, happened? Vote, I the mean, three people that they voted for. So I'm going to give you some numbers. Oh, okay. Give me a second. Let me pull up some of these numbers. You know, my favorite people to watch. So the IEC um, app has been reporting the numbers overnight. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but also our favorites, uh, Davis Galtz, has been tweeting the numbers. And so has Wayne Sussman. They've been tweeting the numbers. Cool. And the EFF has gained quite a lot of voters from the ANC. The DA is holding steady. All right. The IFP has made some inroads in, in that space, you know? Interesting. So, and wonderfully, wonderfully though, is the ANC has been horrifically down across the board. You know, they are down. They, they, they may get to keep some of those wards and they may get to keep the mayorship because the numbers were that low, but they're still quite down. And what it would mean is it would mean that we get to see what a coalition would look like will look like and work like what what the ANC because they they have you know kind of in the low 40s and the in the mid 40s they can create a coalition and govern okay. or the and the opposition doesn't have enough numbers in order to do what they did here in Joburg where they become a coalition and govern uh so it'll be interesting to see who the ANC chooses to partner with in order to be able to push their policies through in those areas Interesting. Well, that is interesting. I wasn't even aware of the fact that there was a by-election. Um, so I'm, I'm pleased that you were paying attention to that. And these are interesting things to watch. I'm, I'm also curious. And the ANC is down in, they're down 12% in some wards. They're sure. down as much as 22% in mm. other wards. So they, they really are sliding down. Well, let's also remember that the IFP managed to take a ward in, uh, in Durban. Yes. And the reason why they took that ward in Durban is because the DA didn't contest the ward. And I think that that was a very smart move on the part of the DA because they basically said. And they did yeah, put a directive out to their voters that they, they said, must vote for the IFP. Vote for the IFP, yes. And hmm. so the ward got given to the IFP. That's clever. Remember that there a lot of, there's a lot of municipalities throughout KZN that are controlled by a coalition of the IFP and the DA. Hmm. And those generally end up functioning, you know, reasonably well. So Tanzini, for example, I think is, uh, is one of those that works, you know, very well because there's an IFP DA coalition that's ended up running it. So the and, numbers have gone down hmm. a little bit as well, just from what I saw. So these are the numbers that Davi was putting out from the IEC about an hour ago. The ANC is now sitting at 39%, the mm-hmm. EFF at 27%. So ANC at 39%, they're down 14 from last year. So in 2021, <laughs> they, you know, they've lost 14. But that's, that's EFF also, has gone up. Yeah, the EFF, that is, that is something to, to think 28. about. 28% is very good for the to, EFF. I mean, that's phenomenal. It's a very good showing in a rural district, mm. which they, they have, Really, they, they've done very well in, um, I thought, I thought in kind they, of metropolitan areas. They struggled. I thought, I thought in the, the EFF had, had uh, reached the ceiling um, in, in, in the last election. And because they've been, you know, really just rabble rousers and noisemakers, 
that they weren't really going to to have the kind of impact that this number suggests. Do you think that this is a st- so they haven't standalone? had the money? You see, they haven't had the money to do what what they were able to do in in the the I think is how you say it. Um, they were there this past weekend. They were on the ground in full force. Wow. Julius Malema had a rally there over the weekend. Okay. So. And that's that's why I'm saying what you get to see in this kind of a, a by-election is you get to see what on-the-ground canvassing can do for now, a party. Now, what we talk about a you know the, the the kind of likely coalitions that happen in KZN between the IFP and the DA, but what who would the EFF partner with in a place like Northwest? Would they partner with the ANC there? <laughs> would they? Of course they would, because <laughs> you've got to think about, look at what's happened in Eteguini over the past week, the the big reporting with what's happened in the municipality mm. of Eteguini. The ANC and the EFF have voted together uh, to remove the deputy mayor yes. and get bonuses uh-huh. and sign off on bonuses. Oh, oh great. So Performance is, bonuses. There's no money is, to fix oh. The sewage system, there's no money to, to fix the sewage problem. There was no money to fix the beachfront, but there was money for bonuses. Oh, my God, a bonus. And they voted together for that. Performance bonus, <laughs> not just a bonus, <laughs> performance right, you know, bonus. My laughter just dried up. I, I don't know about you guys, but I was having a lot of fun before that came up. Now I'm, now I'm annoyed. So what do we think of when we look back on this year in particular? Um, you know, there's, there's quite a lot of history here. And you, you've already mentioned Darby and uh, Wayne who've been on the show. We've had members of various political parties join us. We've spoken to people who are activists on the ground. Last week we spoke to, to Magda who represents kind of a, a business point of view. Out of all these people that we've spoken to this year, it's interesting to me that we – and we do. We reach out to everybody. Like we've tried with the ANC from day one. And the only guy who eventually did come on was Dada Moreiro. Remember this year. And Dada was, uh, of course, running then for his his position in, in Gauteng and in Johannesburg. Regional chairperson. Correct. And he managed for a little while to have ousted Mpopalatze, who was also a guest on the show. Um, but other than, other than him – these ANC guys just don't want to talk to anybody and they don't want to be asked any questions in an interview because every question is going to make them look terrible. So instead they just avoid this stuff. I mean, you don't even see them doing interviews on the SABC anymore. Look, well, look, it's, saw... it's, it's one thing avoiding conversations with us. It's another thing avoiding conversations with the voters. I think Pumi, you nailed it in yeah. terms of why the EFF has been making those inroads because they've actually been on the ground talking to voters. Well, the ANC have just kind of been, you know, twiddling their thumbs and trying to see what happens in terms of the leadership race. Yeah, well, they're completely distracted in fighting each other. You know, it'll, and, and what, one of the things that kind of the open voting in parliament also shows us is that, and this is the video that, that somebody compiled. I don't remember who compiled it, a video contrasting Kosazana, Zamini Zuma talking about voting against, um, the removal of President uh, Zuma all those many years ago and how it shows a lack of discipline from the comrades if the decision has been taken collectively at the NEC that this is the party line, to go against the party line shows a lack of discipline. And yet here she stands Mm -hmm. four or five years later Mm -hmm. voting against the party line and calling herself disciplined because uh, of doing that again hypocrisy and, and so what, right absolutely but what that also shows us is that because they are so distracted and what going into the t- getting ready for 2024 is that they're not going to get it together even coming out of this conference they're not going to get it together mm-hmm. to be able to have a single collective message going into 2024 again that's a good thing for us it's a good thing for us it's a good thing for the opposition well, uh, guys, there's been some good stuff this year, though, though hasn't there? Let's Come talk. On, let's, let's, let's talk let's... about the good stuff. Uh, you start, Canton. Uh, <laughs> I'll 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 stop nonsense. You start some nonsense. Let's go. <laughs> okay, let, let, let's talk about Chris Pappas. Oh yeah. Okay. Okay. I, I think I think that that is the good news story of the year. 
where you, the, you've had this guy Umgeni, who's been able to Umgeni take... Umgeni municipality, yeah, right? Umgeni municipality, you know, which uh, has Howick at, at its epicenter. It's able to take a failed municipality, turn mm-hmm. it around, pay off its debts, inculcate a culture of payment among the people of uh, of the, that municipality. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and now he's able to tweet that, you know, if people are out and bothered, they can come and swim in the public pools. Two ran for adults, one ran for kids, and uh, everything's brilliantly well-maintained. I think this is a sign of the future. It, it shows what happens when the DA allows people on the ground to actually do stuff and just stop this bloody pontificating. So, you know, it's, it's the kind of stuff that used to quietly happen behind the scenes in, in Cape Town. Now, of course, you've got, you know, the likes of Jordan Hill Lewis, you've got the likes of Stian Hazen, and they all come out and do public posturing on stuff that has nothing to do with average South Africans. I mean, they talk about Zimbabwe, they talk about Ukraine, and frankly, guys, no one gives a shit. I think people in this country want to see the type of stuff that Papas has been doing. Which is hard hard work, and it's not glamorous. It's It's not exciting. It's not what politicians love to do because they like to grandstand, all of them. And this guy's actually getting his hands dirty. Yes. So I'd like to see a scenario where these guys just end up, you know, shutting the fuck up about <laughs> everything that's not core to actual delivery of services in the country. You know, so don't start whining on about climate change. You know, don't start. You know, just ensure that electricity gets delivered. Ensure that the roads get uh, yep. get uh, get fixed, that the traffic lights are working, that the potholes are filled up. Yep. And guess what? You know, people will actually then be enthusiastic about getting out and voting for you guys instead of posturing. So I, I think, you know, Papas is something that, that kind of gives me hope. I want to see a scenario where there are more people that are being trotted out by uh, the DA, especially we're in a position to to do that type of stuff, mm-hmm. but I also want to see more type of uh, more strategic thinking, like the stuff that went down in Tequini the this week, where you actually had the DA saying, <clears throat> "All right, we're going to negotiate behind the scenes uh, with the IFP. We're going to allow them to take out the uh, the ANC in this particular case, and we're actually going to tell our voters here's Clever. what we're trying to do." You know, as opposed to what historically has been the case that. Uh, you know, people turn around and say, well, uh, we have to go and contest every single ward on the ground because that's the way things work. But we also need to take another view that if the ANC ends up splitting, the DA is going to have to work with the ANC, with one of the factions, mm-hmm. because that's the only way the country is going to run. And so all of the posturing that goes on right now about, you know, we're never going to work with the ANC. No, actually, they need Sorry. to be shifting the discussion. It's got to be pragmatic. They need to say... Yeah, they got to say when the ANC is in a minority, then we will actually vote with them on issues that actually fulfill the interests of our voters. Well, so this is the this is exactly what this um, scenarios that the Brenters Foundation um, has put out. Mm-hmm. You know, so they they do quite a lot of kind of this strategic thinking and strategic planning and what options we have going forward. And and they kind of did um, surveys. So they did surveys, I think telephonic surveys and um, sampling uh, across the country mm-hmm. on what voters think about A, coalitions, and what voters think about 2024 and how coalitions could shift the way that South Africa is going, because we're all clear, we are all in agreement that whether it's the rate at ESCOM or not, the the problems at ESCOM drag the country down. Inflation drags the country down. The infighting, the the looting, the mm-hmm. all the the crime that's out of control, all of those things drag the country down. So, what do we need to do in order to turn things around? And and I do agree with you, Kenton, that I think uh, Papa's in Umgen, in the Umgeni municipality, has been a breath of fresh air and quite amazing to watch as as he worked. Um, and looking at these scenarios and what they do, the scenario thing is it's always for scenarios, you know. And, and they've they've called it the good, the bad, and the ugly, <laughs> and it is all about coalitions, you know. It's it the way that they have framed this and looked at it and um, 
we we will have a, a more in-depth conversation with Greg Mills. I think Dory's yes. trying to get Greg um on in, in early the in the new year. He couldn't join us today. Is about who the coalitions would be between and how those coalitions would work out for the country and what that means just in terms of policies. Because at national government, it really is about policy and driving the bigger conversation for the country, whereas at municipal level, it's about getting getting my garbage picked up and getting the traffic lights working and mm-hmm. fixing the, you know, all the potholes. The, all the stuff that Canton uh, asked um, Popalatse about. I mean, he was, he was more interested in that stuff, and rightly so, than in ideology or, as you put it earlier, Canton, the Ukraine or climate change. Nobody cares about that stuff when they go to the polls in South Africa. I can promise you that there are probably one or two people in, you know, one or two municipalities who actually – Oh, single-issue voters on that. But I mentioned, I think last week, that I have become a single-issue voter. I will vote for whichever mm. party can provide electricity. That's all I care about right now. Everything else. Well, frankly, at this stage, Garrett, the only way we get there in, in a very quick space of time is through these car power ships. What do you mean? <laughs> I mean, that's the only way that we can get the electricity flowing oh, the ships, again. The, 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 the actual yeah. ships that you mentioned, which will be generating power off the coast. With, exactly. With, yes. with burning fossil yeah. fuels. Burning fossil fuels off the coast, yes. And we can buy those but, from, from China and India, can we? No, no, no. They, they, those are actually Turkish things. They, and, um, yeah. and, and remember, there, there is corruption involved in those contracts. I'm of course, absolutely but sure. But we can handle it if we can get electricity. Yeah, we, we, can, we can handle that because we need the electricity to actually keep the country running. And See, at the, at, the the moment, we, we have, at the moment, we have the corruption, but we have no electricity. So if we can have Correct, electricity yes. and there's corruption, that's okay. We can handle it. We'll deal with the corruption later. That's right. Now, you might remember that I said at the, at the time that, uh, you know, Zuma's trillion rand deal with the Russians to build nuclear power uh, plants mm. was a corrupt deal, but it was still better for us than doing a range of the other stuff that, uh, that we were looking at. And I think that right now we need to take a, a, a very serious look at those car power ships. Hmm. We just need to have very pronounced public scrutiny of the actual cost per kilowatt hour, which is ultimately what we're concerned about. And frankly, at this stage, anyone who's able to produce electricity that comes in at a lower cost per kilowatt hour than ESCOM is actually charging, that's a win. Absolutely. We need to recognize this. I, wow. I don't care who's becoming a billionaire on the side. Yeah. What we should be interested in, you can provide electricity to the grid at a lower price point than ESCOM is actually charging. Yeah. Um, we're I'm, good to go. I'm, we should I'm just fan. do that. Yeah. No, single issue voter. I've, uh, that's what I've become. So let's just um, turn our attention overseas quickly because it, it has been a very, very busy year. Obviously, the end of COVID has started to uh, to become you know a much bigger story than the the lockdowns were when they were implemented. Because of course, everybody thought, well, government's going to save us, and now we're seeing people suddenly. Uh, holding governments accountable for the bad decision making, which I'm delighted about that they made during those those two and a half years. We also see that this has resulted in, you know, three prime ministers in Britain in a space of a month. We've seen uh, Joe Biden limp through, but nonetheless limp through successfully in the midterm elections where everybody predicted that he was going to have his ass handed to him, including Canton, you and I, uh, we were wrong. I don't believe Pumi made a, a prediction in that respect. So she's no, got a clean I, slate. I, I actually called the Senate race exactly right. I said it was going to be a 50-50 split. Did you? And that the challenge is, yes, absolutely. Oh, okay, I give you credit oh. then. We can always pull the tapes, Canton. We can always pull the tapes. Uh-huh. Uh, Absolutely, we can pull the tapes. <laughs> I can forward the text messages to you. The Senate was always going to go that way, but the House was always going to go to the Republicans, which it, it, it ended up doing. And we spoke about the fact that the big red wave actually did happen in terms of the sheer volume of voters that actually ended up switching sides. But uh, uh, but enough enough of the U.S. It's getting kind of okay. Uh, so so let's uh, turn our tedious. attention elsewhere then, because there was plenty. Well, right, of... right now, the big the big thing that's happening is uh, is Kosovo. Yeah. So Kosovo. Apparently, <laughs> we we're not allowed to have diplomatic relations with Kosovo because <laughs> well, China... they're not a country because they're not recognized by the UN. Ah. There, there are five, there are four countries in uh, in the EU that don't recognize Kosovo. 
This does this go all the way back to the breakdown of Yugoslavia, and, and well, the, this this goes back to the bombing of Belgrade, which was okay. circa ninety nine, as I as I recall, because the and it was part of the constant expansion of NATO, but uh, effectively you had. Um, I think it was Bill Clinton at the time who went in and actually yeah. uh, bombed Belgrade, and um, uh, and carved out this uh, the state that, like I said, you know, there are countries within the EU that don't recognize Kosovo. At the same time, the EU is saying that they are allowing Kosovo right. to apply for membership. I need to is, I need uh, to understand a yeah. few things here. So oh. let me ask a question, yes. if you don't mind. Um, what I what I know about the the original breakup of post Tito Yugoslavia is that Croatia was a country for Catholic Yugoslavs or or for Catholic. They're essentially there there's there isn't much of an ethnic difference between Serbs and Croats. It's their religious difference. Serbians are mm-hmm. are Eastern Orthodox, Croats are Catholic. Um, Bosnia Herzegovina, as it was at the time, was a carve out for Muslims in that area. Is that correct? <laughs> and then, but yeah, that, 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 mm-hmm. that's pretty much the narrative in terms of how. And, it was and then, what is what is Kosovo, and how does that fit into this? Is there an ethnic? Is there religious? Is there a political difference? Um, yeah. Well, the problem that we have in Kosovo right now, you see, in terms of what is supposed to be happening in in Kosovo, it is supposed to be having. Uh, self-governing status as part of Serbia, mm-hmm. which is very similar to the scenario that we had in Ukraine, where you had the right. Donbass regions who were supposed to be self-governing within the, the borders of Ukraine. But in fact, what has happened is that you've had constant pressure on the part of NATO to effectively end up, shall we say, uh, allowing the majority um, uh, sorry, uh, uh, the minorities uh, in those uh, areas to end up being subjugated by uh, the majority government of the area. Mm-hmm. So take Ukraine as a, as a very specific example. Um, it's a, obviously the majority of the country is Ukrainian speaking, mm-hmm. but in the Donbass region, the majority of the people happen to be Russian speaking, but you have policies that get imposed at a national level that then end up... Um, effectively causing people to get very pissed off. The <laughs> crucial point in terms of, uh, of what's going on in, uh, in Kosovo is that it's really all about Serbia because Serbia has consistently refused to join the rest of Europe, well, the rest of, uh, um, of Western Europe in uh, going up against Putin. Mm-hmm. Which, uh, and, and so there's been pressure now from the EU on Serbia to say that Serbia must be Shia sanctioned because Serbia is not sanctioning Russia. Jesus. We thought, now, that, we thought, that, we thought the Balkans were complicated before. It sounds like uh, it's getting even more complicated now. No, look, it's, 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 it's hugely complicated. Now, now understand as well that, uh, um, so th- there are very strong ties between Serbia and Russia and you routinely sure. have demonstrations by tens of thousands of people on the, the streets of, uh, of Belgrade um, in support of Putin. The problem, of course, is that um, Putin, unlike the, the situation that you have in the Donbass, where Russia is a neighboring state to Ukraine, Serbia is landlocked, yeah. and it is surrounded by NATO territories, effectively. So there is no way that there can be military assistance that gets provided by Russia to Serbia simply because of the fact that in order to do so, they would need to traverse territory that's part of NATO. Right. Okay. So, so, so in the, in, so yeah. So in, in the meanwhile, the Serbians are amassing troops uh, on, on the border. You have um, people from Kosovo who have Serbian origin, who are routinely, uh, blocking roads uh, that allow the flow of goods uh, in and out of uh, of Kosovo. Mm-hmm. You've uh, and yes, you know, fundamentally it is an ethnic conflict because I'm, I'm trying to remember whether the uh, uh, the Kosovo people are are, are predominantly 
uh, Armenian or Albanian. They all look Al- the same Al- to me. No, it's Sorry, Albanian. Yeah. Of, I think they're Albanian. I'm a bit of a racist. Thing. I think they're Albanian. Armenia, well, at least you admit it. I mean, Armenia is between the Black and the Caspian Sea, so it's definitely Albanian. Well, they, there you go. Thank, thank you very much. Yes. In uh, fact, Amir says quite rightly, uh, Kosovo is a majority Albanian population with a Muslim majority, part of Serbia. Thank you, thank you very much, Amir. Yes, Amir should be yes. a, Amir should be our, our next Amir. co-host on the show. Every week. yeah, let, 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 let's, let's get Amir on the show. Right. Yes, he's, a Middle Eastern. He, he's, been dro- he's been he's been dropping some truth bombs. So that that's something interesting that's happening. So let's put Kosovo as a side because that that's a hot spot. The second hot spot that's coming down now is going to be Israel slash Palestine again. Well, there's a massive difference that's actually happened because for the first time now, Xi Jinping has come out very publicly to say that there must be an independent Palestine based on the 1967 borders. Why would, and I cannot tell why you guys, would he have gotten, I cannot tell why you guys how involved? huge this is. This is some, the first time that China's ever had anything to say about that part of the world. Well, it's because of the fact that the um, – so Xi Jinping recently visited Saudi Arabia. Oh. Okay, he he was given the red carpet treatment when uh, when he pitched up out there. You know, Biden uh, went to uh, went to visit uh, um, the Saudis. He said that he was not prepared to meet with MBS, mm-hmm. and MBS basically pitched up to meet him, uh, gave him a fist bump. Yeah. Uh, Biden said, "We want you to increase oil production." MBS said, "Well, uh, we'll take that under advisement," and he promptly cut oil production. <laughs> Now, uh, Xi Jinping pitches up uh, with the uh, uh, with the Saudis. Uh, during the time that Xi Jinping is there, leaders from all of the surrounding uh, uh, Arab states that are, are part of the uh, the U.S. circle of influence pitch up and also strike deals with Xi Jinping. So you've. There was a very brief period where, you know, thanks to Trump and the signing of the Abraham uh, Accords, mm-hmm. there was the possibility that Israel was actually going to get away with a lot of the stuff that uh, that Trump came up with. So there was the possibility that Israel would have gotten away with Jerusalem as a capital yeah, um, because of the fact that Trump recognized it. There was the possibility that Israel was going to be able to keep the Golan Heights because Trump said, as far as we're concerned, the Golan Heights, which is Syrian territory, is part of Israel. But the turnaround that you've got right now is with Xi Jinping um, saying that we want a return to the 1967 borders. Mm. We want an independent Palestine that's part of the, of the United Nations. And I cannot tell you guys how big this is because... This effectively means that unless um, Biden is now prepared to take on all of the Arab world who now have the backing of the Russians as well as uh, the uh, Chinese, the Chinese, okay, and pretty much count on India also going along with what the Chinese are actually saying in well, terms of the 1967 borders, even though India has historically enjoyed very good relations with Israel and continues to do so. I thought that that Israel was moving to a much more kind of friendly working relationship with places like Saudi Arabia. Was that just a Well, that was during during the Trump era. That was during the Trump era. Remember that Trump uh, Trump managed to very successfully decouple the question of Palestine itself uh, from Palestine from Israel's relationship with um, the rest of uh, of the Arab states. Mm. So one of the things that uh, that Trump achieved was that uh, Israel flights are now able to overfly Saudi Arabia, which was never yes. the case previously. Yeah. So and, there there were all of these uh, these things that uh, that Trump actually and and, and to open keep, diplomatic relations between Israel and the UAE. I think Qatar, uh, Oman. So you know a general kind of. <laughs> cooling of what has been a very, very tense and ongoing argument since, you know, the establishment of the state of Israel. Sure. But but China, as you point out, has never really got involved in this until now. And I'm wondering what the what the carrot and the stick are here. I mean, if if, if it's just a bit about MBS and, and the Saudis kind of cozying up to China so that they can establish some new or they can they can establish some 
corresponding and cooperative role in a new world order. Other than that, I don't see any direct and obvious reasons for China to have done something like this. China moves very, very carefully. They do long-term planning. You know, I, I tell people that the Chinese actually they they plan in thousands of years. They don't mm. plan in uh, they don't they don't plan in in years. They don't plan in decades. They don't plan in centuries. They 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 see no difference uh, in China. It's it's part of the psyche of that nation that you know all of the 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 dynasties that went there before the Ming Dynasty, the Tang Dynasty, uh, all all and the other unpronounceable dynasties. You know, going through the time of Mao and then Deng Xiaoping, uh, Jiang Zemin, and you know, eventually now but is, culminating. Is, Canton, is, in, in is Biden mm-hmm. is Biden even going to last another two years? Um, look, right now, I think that the Democrats are desperately seeking an alternative that they can put forward. But uh, you know, frankly, I think at this stage it doesn't matter. The U.S. is a country that is currently tearing itself apart, and it. Um, the military-industrial complex is still continuing to dictate foreign policy, mm. but they're finding now that they're actually not able to maintain the momentum. They've actually run out of uh, of weapons. Jesus. So l- let me put this in perspective. And yet they're still okay. sending all this money to the Ukraine. Yes, but remember that sending the money to the Ukraine, it's money that gets sent in the form of weaponry, and the weaponry is then paid for by the U.S. taxpayers, which then goes to the military-industrial complex. But the point is that those HIMARS systems were sent across in numbers to Ukraine. And now the U.S. is talking about sending patriots across. Now, here's the problem. uh, Here's the reason why this is happening. Patriot missiles. Yeah, but uh, they've they've run out of HIMARS. And so now what they've got to do is further actually deplete their stocks. Now, meanwhile, you have the scenario where um, you have people, uh, military personnel in Germany saying that right now if we get invaded, the best we'll be able to do is defend a small city <laughs> because a, we've actually given away most of our weaponry. <laughs> but but, but going back to – but let's just go back to, uh, to China and, and talk about uh, the long-term plan. Now, remember that currently what's happening is that – China is now buying more gas from Russia than Russia used to export to Europe through the Nord Stream pipelines. So in other words, Putin has been able to very quickly make up the loss of revenue that's been coming from uh, from the Nord Stream pipelines by, sure. by selling to China. They are selling in each other's national currencies, so there's an agreement on that. Uh, Russia and India uh, are trading in their own national currencies. Uh, Russia and Turkey are now trading in their own national currencies. Right. And, and speaking about Turkey, okay, Turkey is now uh, poising to take out the Kurds once and for all. Okay, well, and, 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 and what, what's crucial about this is that remember that the U.S. illegally occupies um, uh, the uh, northern Syrian part because they've been stealing oil. And this goes back to Trump's time. You know, Trump basically said, it, yeah. you know, we're not going to allow Syrians to have their oil. And and so they pump the oil out there and they ship it to Iraq. And from Iraq, it then goes across to the rest of the world. But the result of what uh, Turkey is now saying, because remember that you've had the Kurds who triggered those terror attacks, what is it, about a month back um, in the heart mm. of Istanbul. Yeah. Okay, and, and the Kurds have basically said, well, the first thing is we're not going to allow Sweden and Finland to be joining NATO because they did not turn over um, Kurdish terrorists, as uh, um, as Erdogan calls them. And the second thing that he said is that uh, he's going to be taking out uh, uh, the Kurds who have been launching terror attacks from across the border, and he wants to set up a demilitarized zone, I think, uh, of about 30 kilometers stretching into um, into Kurdish territory. But, of course, the Kurds are backed by the U.S. But the thing is that he's got Russia's blessings in in order to be able to do this. Uh, but the final point in terms of, uh, of Xi Jinping is recognize that this was probably triggered to a large extent by Nancy Pelosi's visit mm. to Taiwan. Which they took as, as a... As a- show of strength on the U.S. side and an and, and antagonistic one at that. Yes. Pumi, you but were the gonna, Chinese, uh, yeah. You were going to ask something, 
shorter. Mm. You know, I, w- I was going to say that we spoke about this uh, earlier when even as Americans were rushing to pull their way out of Afghanistan, that mm-hmm. the waning, the, but also the, just America's waning standing End in, of empire. Kind of the geopolit- in, in the geopolitics of the world. And this is just between, and now they have two fronts. Now they have Russia on the one side and they have China on the other side. And, and all of these moves, long-term as they are, both China and Russia being long-term thinkers, right, is what they have always known is that America is their enemy and they've always taken that posture. And every move and counter move that they make is really about ensuring that America does not have the power firepower yeah. or enough friends to be able to back them if they were to to pull any kind of a move against them well, and this is what they're doing this is what they're doing this is what what this all does and we spoke about this i think at, at um when when Biden won, when the Democrats came back into power, we spoke about this. And we also spoke about as even as we're looking at 2030 mm-hmm. and looking at where the money is going to be in the rest of the world. This is this is just all a, a steadfast juggernaut moving towards a more and more diminished so, America. Despite all the things that we hear in the news, then this has been a great year for Putin. Would you say that? <laughs> no, it hasn't been a great year for Putin. Look, uh, you know, this doesn't sound so bad. <laughs> no, no, guys. Well, it doesn't have to no, be guys, binary. Guys, don't, yeah, no, it, it, it isn't binary. Look, I, I think that what is true is that Putin has probably come out better than the rest of us around the world. Because the rest of us, you know, from the point of view of our economies, it's been taking an absolute pounding. Mm. But certainly, Putin has managed to sit this one out. I mean, look, the, the Russians... Right now, they, they've probably lost, you know, I, I would say at, at least eighty to 90,000 uh, um, uh, troops thus far in, in this conflict. Okay, the, the Ukrainians, we know, have lost well over 100,000 uh, troops uh, already. And, you know, to say that uh, uh, Putin seeing that as a victory, I don't think so. Uh, but I, I think that Putin has come out of it a lot better. But certainly the U.S. has taken the pounding. Yeah. If you look at the U.S. Africa Summit, which is uh, which has it been going today, on. yeah, but um, the U.S. Africa Summit is not going to go uh, the way of the U.S. at all, because just imagine this: ahead of the summit, what does the U.S. do? They pass sanctions against Mnangagwa's uh, son in Zimbabwe. Now you're trying to persuade the uh, leaders of all of Africa's countries to come on side, but at the same time. You, you know, effectively performing an extrajudicial execution, um, against, uh, a country in Africa. So already you've got all of these protests that are happening now around, um, uh, the U.S.'s role, uh, in, uh, in Africa. So, you know, there's the U.S. Africa, um, uh, military command, which was effectively what was responsible for taking down Gaddafi's government. In Kenya. Yes. Um, they put, they're based in Kenya, right? Yes. Their bases yeah. in Kenya. Yeah. They were also uh, responsible for much of the unrest in, uh, in the Democratic Republic of Congo. They've been a key player in terms of the cut that currently goes down in Sudan. Yeah. Because remember that they're there to protect, um, the oil interests and they want to make sure that they keep those governments destabilized so that at any given stage they're able to stake claim to that oil if they actually want it. And you've now, so you, uh, on the, the the first point is that you've got Kagame, who is now turning around and saying to the U.S. head of the summit, don't tell us what to do. And you've got oh, these boy. calls now for the U.S. Africa command to uh, to be disbanded. Meanwhile, the, the U.S. is now propping up the government in Somalia. And as a direct result of that, you've had a massive increase in al-Shabaab uh, terror attacks. Because you know Al Shabaab was relatively quiet in that part of the world. But now so yeah, it's uh, we we do not up. have enough time to start and have the conversation about everybody else's interest in Africa and how they push those interests and Africans just 
kind of well we we should uh, uh, make... our african leaders very much just Maybe. Sitting back and doing absolutely nothing, except as we see, even with our president, always going out there with their begging bowls in hand. Yeah, we we do not have enough time to start that conversation. But, but, that is a show all on its own. But let's because put uh, as much as let's put that on US the agenda Africa for next summit, year. There's a EU Africa summit. Yeah. There's a you know. Let's put let's put that on the agenda though for next year, and we and we'll see who we can get on. Uh, I mean, immediately JJ Cornish, who's already doing African analysis with us, comes to mind. But there are other people too, and, and we can hear so about. So one this. thing before we we go before we go, and I know we finish. Uh, the the time is mm. is done. Uh, I do want to uh, a a little throwback to the early days of me on the on the burning platform, Iran. You mm. may or may not recall that my view was always that up until such time that the people of Iran stand up against their government and rally the rest of the world to their cause, nothing will happen. And yesterday, UN women took a stand and Iran has now two things. Iran has now been uh, expelled for the rest of the term from the ESOC in, uh, with, at the CSW in the UN, one. But also, South Africa abstained from that vote. 29-4, the expulsion of Iran. South Africa, one of five countries that abstained from the vote. Hmm. Just putting keep, it out keep there. An eye so there the as moves, well. and, and now that not the that, people, not that the, the, UN the women is in Iran and the uh, people have stood up for themselves yeah. and are rallying the world to their cause, you see a change beginning right. to take place. Okay, we'll, we'll keep our eyes on that one too. Listen, there's a lot that we've tried to cover in this uh, episode. There's still probably another three episodes we could do, but it is the last burning platform, the last live one of the year. We will have a best of, which will happen next Thursday. But Canton and Pumi, thank you both for your time today, and most especially thank you to you for joining us and for listening to the show. And we will see you next week but uh, there is no show tomorrow either because tomorrow is a public holiday so enjoy yourself we will see you later bye everybody cliffcentral.com